KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. It is no secret to anyone that the U.S. has a long and disturbing history of racism and racial violence. We're still trying to come to grips with many things that have plagued the country since its founding. How did we get here? Well, it's not just one thing. It never is. But maybe one part of the equation is not learning from history, and in many cases, that history not really being told. We wanted to talk about some moments in U.S. history that saw racial violence leave African-American communities devastated. Communities who were punished, when it really comes down to it, simply for having thrived. And the stories of these communities and what happened to them have really almost been pushed aside as history has been written going forward. But these are important stories that more and more people are learning about and deserve more attention. And learning about them will help give us a more complete picture of how we got to now. For this discussion, we we reached out to Dr. Nafisa Muhammad. She is an assistant professor of history at Lincoln University of Pennsylvania. Give a listen. So let's start our discussion. Tulsa in the early 20th century. Talk a little bit about Black Wall Street and, and how special a place this was, especially in the context of the United States at that time. Yes. Okay. Um, so after I want to start after um, the Civil War, America enters the Reconstruction period, where the Republicans during that time, they're trying to acclimate Black Americans into the society by establishing schools, setting them up with jobs, trying to help them find their families. And so between 1877 and the early 20th century, you have a lot of Black communities who are coming together really by necessity due to Jim Crow and the rise of a lot of mobs and riots that um, were occurring during that time. So they came together, pooling their resources, establishing different different businesses and their own economies. Some um, African-Americans even owned their own airplanes. Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's a little west. And so a lot of blacks are migrating, not only north, you know, during the Great Migration, but they're migrating west. And, and Tulsa, Oklahoma became one of those pivotal sites where those uh, where African Americans built their businesses, and it was referred to the Greenwood District, correct? And it was referred to right. as Black Wall Street because it was such a thriving, bustling, not just society but economy as well. Yes, yes, and um, again, it was a hub of businesses. I think Tulsa even had their own airport that was con- owned and possibly controlled by African Americans. And in 1921. You also had some of the white citizens there. There was um, economic jealousy going on that kind of led to the destruction of that city. And most of some of these riots were started by what they call this myth or perceived threat that black men were threatening the virtue of white womenhood. And so it falls in line with this, this myth of the black rapist mentality. And ironically, a black man was accused of attacking or assaulting a white woman in an elevator in Oklahoma. And just that rumor, even though it later proved to be false, led a white mob to destroy and burn and burn down Tulsa, Oklahoma. And still those citizens, they never really got the due justice or reparations from that attack that occurred. And to add another thing, there was no punishment for that mob we end up burning down those African-Americans with that African-American city. And this is May of 1921. And one of the 
remarkable things is even here, we're almost a hundred years later, there's still a lot of, we don't know. Am I correct? As far as how many deaths where some bodies were laid to rest, there are still incredible amounts of important questions that we don't have the answers to. Yes, that's right. But it's, it's all rooted. And I want to kind of put this in context because the beauty of history is that you don't look at something in a single canon. You look at this broader, you know, what's going on in this broad, um, you know, this atmosphere of what we're living today. And I wanted to say that even within the last three months here, we could probably understand what led us to the protesting and the rioting. So it started off, you know, the pandemic, it led to a massive loss of jobs. And then in a way, it also showed some of the class, you know, this class and economic division that America is suffering from. And when when schools all over the country went online, that element of who has the Internet, who can pay for broadband, it came up and it directly impacted some of the poor or um, communities with people of color. And then when you compound that with um, Ahmaud Arbery and then even the Central Park situation, and then to add the George Floyd situation on top of that, you see all of these elements was right for um, what we're witnessing today. And again, history tells us that, you know, some of the slave codes that existed, you had slave owners could not or would not, they would not be punished for killing someone, killing an African-American. Well, let me say it like this. African-Americans during enslavement they could be killed without cause and there would be no penalty when you talk about Virginia on down, especially in this Southern hood. And I want to add on um, you, um, the Wilmington riots after reconstruction, Wilmington, North Carolina, another mob destroyed the city because they did not want African-Americans who were largely Republicans at that time taking over the South. And that in Wilmington, I've seen it referred to as the only coup d'etat on American soil because there was a it was correct me if I'm wrong it was like a fusion government it was some some whites mostly African Americans that had gotten together and basically the white power structure at the time outside of that group just didn't like it and enforced yeah. and kind of enforced their will Right. So the thing is, a lot of African-Americans did um, hold political power. Some of them were congressmen right after um, the Civil War during that Reconstruction period. They were voted in. And um, when Reconstruction ended in America in 1877. And so after that point, the South agreed to put the Democrats, who at that time were former slave owners, back in control of the South. And so it kind of Reconstruction, a lot of historians look at that time period as a failure. You're trying to acclimate Blacks into society and get them to this level of economic and political um, power, if you will. But when the Democrats are put back in control, they wanted to push those Black politicians out of those powers that they had received during the Reconstruction period. And so, again, the Wilmington riots of 1898, it is a reflection of not wanting African-Americans to have that type of power. And another situation that is kind of similar, Rosewood, Florida, 1923. Talk a little bit about 
very similar. This was a, a thriving African-American community and it was yes. basically destroyed. Yes. And going back. So, and I want to also take it back a little bit further. You have um, the Atlanta riots of 1906 that also occurred. And it goes back to the perceived threat that um, black men were trying to attack white women with. The Atlanta race riots of 1906, Tulsa, Oklahoma of 1923, Rosewood, Florida, and all black community, that city was destroyed again based off a rumor that was proven false that a black man had attacked a white woman. And so again, you have a, um, a white mob, they come together and destroy and obliterate the town of Rosewood, Florida, located mostly in a rural area and again, a predominantly black population. And to top it all, again, the people committing the crimes, they were not punished. So there's a continuum here. And one of the things when you look at these situations, you see the awful tragedies of the time. But nothing happens in a vacuum. I just, I try to extrapolate if these communities were allowed to thrive for the last hundred years. What we could have seen the the wealth that some African Americans would have been able to to build the political power. Uh, it, you can't even get your head around the what this did, not just in the moment but going forward. Right, and um, just to add on to that, it's interesting how a lot of this is tied to, as I mentioned earlier, this economic jealousy that occurred in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And ironically, it all kind of ties together with, you know, just these accusations that, okay, this this African-American man has attacked or looked at, it could be anything, a white woman or looked at somebody else wrong that would cause, you know, white Americans to destroy their businesses. So it's economic jealousy combined with the perceived threat of blackness that has really displaced African-American economic power. As a professor of history, as someone who has studied these events, the moment we're listening, we're living through now, do you have hope? Are you, what is, what goes through your mind, I guess, is my question, as someone who is so familiar with these mm-hmm. and what, what we're seeing, what we're living right now? Right. Well, I, I, I feel like there's there's always hope. There's always hope, but I think that people just educating people about, you know, history and what we're talking about and how all of this comes together. I think that's one step. And also, too, um, I think individuals can examine their own personal biases that they may have and think about how they are projecting that on other people before they decide to take action. It's amazing to me, uh, when we first spoke, I... I am a history buff. I'm someone, I think I said to you, my downtime, I enjoy unwinding watching PBS documentaries. And it's stunning to me that up until maybe last year's when I first heard of Tulsa in 1921, it's just amazing to me how that ha- these episodes have been eliminated from most of your quote-unquote mainstream history. Just talk a little bit, the damage that does that, once again, it's kind of a small piece of context of the larger picture that if people don't learn this, 
they don't have appreciation for what has happened, and it just kind of builds on itself. Am I over being over dramatic or no? No, it it just depends on who's controlling the narrative. The people who write history, you know, they're writing it from a vantage point that may not necessarily encapsulate everything, and so it depends on again letting other voices shine through. Who those voices who have been silenced, you know, the voices of people of color, specifically African Americans those groups of people to taking over and controlling the narrative to let these stories be heard and be published. And so it could get out to a broader audience. And so again, that, that type of education can help quell some of this that's leading to what we're saying today. So who's controlling the story? If people hear this and I hope they want to learn more like I did and I continue to do, what would, what would be some tools? Where would you direct people that want to learn more about the the three awful situations we discussed and and similar ones? Right. Well, there are a lot of um, popular websites um, that I can think of right now. Um, History dot com, and you have another website called a website called theblackpast.org for easy access. Um, and they're often written by academics and student researchers who actually go into the primary accounts. These these professors and students, they're looking at the letters, they're looking at the diaries, they are examining the newspapers, often using this firsthand information to construct what you see on the blackpast.org or um, history.com. And also books. There are a lot of African-American survey textbooks that discuss some of these events that are not necessarily told on a broad um, in a broader aspect. Museums. Any type of public history site that is geared towards letting the voices of people who have been silenced for a long time come out and come through. So you have the Internet and you also have books. I can think of a title now, um, a book that I even use for my class called um, The African-American Experience. I think it's by um, Darlene Clark Hine and others. So these these books and information, they are there. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. Music.